<laughs> so unnatural. Hi, my name's Adam. Hi, and I'm Calvin. And this is One for the Books. Today we're going to be talking about Eamon de Valera. Yes, and let's just put a little side note before we start this episode. Okay, whether you hate him or you love him or you just don't really care about him, he is important. He's a very important man in Irish history. Yeah, um... I suppose we we just done a bit of research on kind of but we try to say as unbiased as you can. I think when people talk about Eamon de Valera, it's always Michael Collins versus Eamon de Valera. Um, the man definitely had his cons. He also had his pros, and we're just gonna kind of go through them a lot. Uh, now side note, also another side note on top of my side note, okay. we are only doing de Valera up to maybe what nineteen thirty two thirty five on oh maybe thirty seven actually yeah and again so the rise of Eamon de Valera yeah so. Not his presidency, which is a whole different episode we can do in the future. Yeah. But we're just going to talk about him from his birth to just before World War, basically. Yeah, World War II, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think one of the big things uh, that we looked at there it was from a journal article that um, David McCullough, who is uh, probably his most renowned um, biographer, uh, said was that whether, again, you liked him or not, De Valera, um, he was loved by the people who loved him but he was really hated by the people who hated him and we will see that through his relationships with other people and throughout the 19th century from probably 1960 1920 until his retirement in 1973 he was either the Taoiseach the president the leader of his party or the uh, when the party was in power or the leader of the opposition yeah so while we were researching I think we both tried to look at it from a very objective point of view rather than our own personal opinions on yeah, exactly. if he was a nice person or exactly. not so yeah he was born October 14th 1882 in New York City and the parents yeah so his um, he was born to his mother which is Catherine Call and his, his from Ireland and his father was Juan de Valera Juan Vivian de Valera, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and in so we have his name originally down as George when he was first born, and then in 1901, um, it was registered back to um Edward de Valera, and then he adopted Eamon later on because it sounded more Irish. So he grew up in Limerick with his mother's family, which is very tough for um Eamon because he really he loved his mother, and obviously as you would have that um attraction to your mother when um you're born. Sigmund um, Freud. Not not quite. <laughs> So, ignore Calvin. Um, so grew up in Limerick. Um, surrounded by his, um, mother's relatives. Uh, and what's funny about this, what is about his background is he's quite touchy about it, and um, to the point that he doesn't really want to talk about it much. But, um, as historians have found that, especially in UCD um archives, there's so much writing that Eamon Evelera has done about his family. So he was obsessed with, no, not obsessed, but he was very interested in finding out about his, his past but it wasn't to the point that uh, he wanted to kind of talk about it either he was he, he was looking for a marriage search he was looking for any birth documentation about him or his family but um between i suppose his birth of illegitimacy can we should we say about his from his um parents uh americans didn't really keep have good file filing system back no. then and it, and it does become a kind of prevalent thing throughout his life about his background his backstory yeah it's kind where of I, I feel like the kind of start of this question of illegitimacy in America is, well, it comes from Tim Pakugan where he says, later on, like in De Valera's young life, he wanted to go into the priesthood. Yeah, yeah. But again, because of the questionhood about his uh, illegitimacy, illegitimacy, he didn't really go forward in that path and instead choose 
to go to politics instead, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, he he works hard in school and he eventually uh, gains a BlackRock scholarship. Um, Kevin's laughing here. We we were talking uh yesterday about uh what De- De would look like uh, today if he was, or what he would be like today if he was uh, if he was uh, born. I just found it funny that he went to BlackRock and played rugby. So it just really nothing has changed in yeah, exactly. all these years. Yeah, exactly. BlackRock still a very um dominantly uh rugby school. Uh, exactly. That's all. I'm, that's and all. I'm he really would saying. go on his holidays to Thailand and go to Arkbar. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna. We're we, like, we'll we'll go past that part. Yeah. So he was um, so he was very religious and he was very holy throughout his time and um throughout his obviously his childhood, but then uh, especially when he went to Blackrock and he thought about becoming a, a priest, um, and he actually uh commends his um speak his his speech his oratory, uh skills to his um his repetition of prayer as he went uh, as he kind of went on he uh, the, mo- the more he prayed the better his oratory skills got uh, and then basically he kind of went to he wasn't sure what kind of he wanted to be a teacher but he also wanted to be um, a priest so he went to the local priest and he said do you know I want to be a priest what do you think and the priest has said I just don't think it's for you and that's all David Evelair needed to say right I'm going to scrap that now he still stayed religious for the rest of his life but he then ate, had his aims for uh being a professor or being a teacher um and this is kind of where his pol- love for politics came as well he joined the gaelic league and um, because to teach at the national university of ireland at the time you needed irish so he joined the gaelic league to learn irish and this is where he fell in love with his teacher yeah and his teacher was Sinead flanagan from uh uh, Balbriggan, Balbriggan yeah i was just gonna say uh again where he's joined the game this kind of is a lot of historians say is his kind of starting point for his nationalism where his love for yeah, nationalism yeah exactly this is where it's born this is where his um, but shout out Balbriggan also shout out Balbriggan Sinead Fanagan um, is where uh, his wife um, comes from and they get married and they have three kids now uh, Dev does end up having three kids with Sinead and he himself says he probably wasn't the best family man at the time because you know I think his love for um his love for his country kind of um took over and he wasn't there as much as he probably would have wanted to but um sure look uh he's not renowned for his kind of treatment of women anyway yeah which is my again bias point but well, moving on from our own well, bias okay. yeah absolutely so we'll fast forward here to the 1916 rise and um is described as a leader of men and i actually get a lot of this information i don't know if you've i just want to shake your uh attention here to this book here by Emily Devler by T. Royal Dwyer um, I don't know if you would be familiar with these books these books were um, published by the Irish Independent um, I couldn't tell you when, uh, around 2006 and any Irish house that I've went into except Calvin's um, <laughs> has, you said you've never seen these before I don't buy the Irish Independent these types of books and they're of Irish historical figures we've Patrick Pierce as well they also do Yeats and part uh, Gay Byrne, Pope John Paul II, Jack Charlton, Grace Kelly, um, Mary Robinson, Michael Collins, Part One and Two. So there's a lots of um. So T anyway, T. Royal Dwyer has some excellent um resources here about um Devil Air, which we're gonna get into. So um, yeah. So tell us about his importance in 1916, Calvin. So I think the lead up to 1916 is kind of important in this where. He when he joined the Irish Volunteers, he became fascinated with like military strategic kind of manuals and how to kind of 
lead people. And mm. this is where his leadership skills definitely increase. And he's known as the leader of men at this point. So he was placed, as many others were, in the 1916 Rising in strategic points around Dublin. And, well, strategic is kind of loosely used because yeah. they weren't very good strategically. He was placed in Bowen's Mill. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a very good job, <laughs> all things considered. Yeah, he, his his position there was um, considered one of the big, one of the the best held positions in in the capital even though uh, i suppose they the the rebels would be criticized in their poor choosing of their poor selection of uh, places around Dublin. yeah and again like we find out why it was so poor where again with the irish volunteers being pulled before that but anyway he was put in Baldwin's mill and they lasted a week there where he did not get captured or he ended up surrendering when everything else was taken so that's an important thing where he never was captured per se he surrendered yeah so um we talk about de Valera and his kind of his um view towards women and like the, it might be a bit of a one-sided view here but uh elizabeth o'farrell is a really um popular wo- um, woman from coming bond who coming to man sorry who um delivers a letter of surrender to bowen's mills from project pierce and he david de Valera doesn't believe it uh until he actually sees other men and stuff kind of walking and surrendering uh, to the British. And that's when he finally uh, admits that, you know, uh, the, the rebels had surrendered. Uh, and just kind of what I talked about the Irish volunteers, um, De Valera had kind of um, beef with Owen McNeil, uh, who's the leader of the Irish volunteers, who pulls out his, um, his soldiers um, just before uh, the 1916 rising because of he was tricked with the castle document and again, again there's a lot of miscommunication at the time that's newspapers another, that's, an, things that's and, another podcast yeah. altogether but um, in a letter to his wife um, he mentions on McNeil and he says had McNeil let things go the day before Sunday we'd hold this position for months my force here would have been exactly five times its present strength and if you are studying junior cycle or leaving search history you will have noticed that um, quote I pulled ex- directly from the sample papers so uh he didn't really he didn't uh appreciate mcneil doing mcneil doing that but there is um a source from when he was in prison uh mcneil passed his kind of um his cell and de Valera, uh kind of got the attention of the other soldiers and said come on stand for stand for your captain or stand for i mean i suppose the leader of the irish volunteers you know this man is like deserves respect he is your commanding officer so they all stand and kind of salute him while he's walking past um dev and the lads so it shows that he still kind of had a lot of respect for um on mcneil at the same time um we were just talking about his bravery as well during the 1916 rising um it, it's a very divisive um topic because some people and again that kind of this could stem from his critics or his the people that really love him or um, how good alan rickman is acting Exactly, because Alan Rickman plays a fantastic um, De Valera. He's probably one of the only good things about that film. Yes. But anyway, uh, De Valera's bravery is questioned. It's divisive. So his biographer, Anthony J. Jordan, kind of puts it to rest. So people, some people said that Dev was kind of like... Um, this, a coward. Yeah. So one said he was leader of men, and some said he was a coward. He, he was panicking, and he really struggled throughout, um, throughout the last couple of days. He, he wasn't used to the violence. But Anthony J. Jordan kind of says whatever happened in Bowen's Mills does not negate or undermine in any way the extraordinary heroism 
of Dev and his comrades and I think that is the best way to leave it yeah. because I think we'd be going back and forth on this topic for days and then we kind of move on to when everyone else was being court-martialed yeah and, and there, I, there is the kind of the thing that we need to just nip in the bud straight away where he wasn't pardoned because of his American background which a lot of people kind of yeah, misconstrued I suppose we can uh, I, I, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say I actually had to look at a history a leaving cert book to, to find this because it was just the easiest way to find a couple of bullet points but um, De Valera avoided death for four main reasons one was that he was represented by the Irish by the US consulate but not that wasn't the key the key to his um, survival I suppose um, he was out, there was also public pressure to relax which was kind of like the key turning point in people's attitudes so as people as the weeks went on there was more executions going on yeah. and on as and sim- sympathy for those rebels kind of um, grew. The public opinion changes. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, uh, Sinn Féin, even though it wasn't a Sinn Féin rebellion, kind of gains uh, popularity. The other two reasons were um, he was in a different kind of group to the rebels. So Padraig Pearce, um, Connolly and all the lads, they were kind of taken apart and he wasn't in that group. So it was kind of luck. And uh, The last one there, John Maxwell, who was the leader of the British Army, in Dublin during the 1916 Horizon, when they had all the lads captured, they held all the rebels together and the man was reading out their names like um, Maxwell's right-hand man. And when Maxwell heard him, Devilair's name, he said, who, who is, is he? he? And that is the thing. Yeah, that's called. a knock in confidence. Yeah, it's a knock in, yeah, I'd be raging. But, I'd be raging, but I'm also glad I'm alive too. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, so, I suppose this the, the loads happens here, but um, coming up to the War of Independence, uh, he becomes president of Sinn Féin. He's got the support from the Rising. Um, he they won the general election in, in Ireland, but they in 1918, but they didn't take their seats because of the oath of um, allegiance. Allegiance, thank you. Uh, and yeah, with that kind of fastes forward to the War of Independence in on the 21st of January 1919, which is the start of it, which was the founding of the first doll, where he was the head of. Jeez, but, that was good. You just thank you, you yeah, breezed yeah. through that. But. It was very early on in the War of Independence when De Valera goes to America for a fundraiser and he earns 5.5 million dollars throughout his time in there. For like the Irish nationalist cause. And again, we we kind of discussed, for me, in the 20th century, the kind of start of 20th century, this is where the Irish-American love affair kind of, in my opinion, it kind of starts where you have this influential Irish figure touring around America. Yeah, exactly, yeah pushing this nationalistic type of view and he was also american to a degree as well, which so th- which gives him some kind of help with it yeah yeah um like this like he he this is devil air basically benefiting off the diaspora that from the left during the famine have now had their own families and grew their own kind of lives in america and now they're living in america as ex-irish citizens or irish descendants so this he kind of um he can, he profits off it. Profits he pro- off profits it. off the Irish people there and kind of there. Yeah, and Amer- uh, uh, Dev in America is a whole other podcast. It's really cool. He becomes a um, what is the an honorary Native American chief, and there's actually a really popular picture of Dev there wearing yeah. the big um, I forget what they're called. I don't want to yeah guess it. Yeah, exactly. He's a really popular headpiece. Um, but anyway, he this is I think it was was it before or after he went to America that he got arrested. In Ireland? Yeah, when he was sent over to the English jail. That was definitely before, yeah. Yeah, so before he went, goes over, during the War of Independence, he um, is arrested. And this is actually done quite well in the film, was that he was 
he was in jail in somewhere in the UK in England and Michael Collins go, goes over and helps De Valera get aid, out of jail and he was in jail with uh, so Collins helps him with Sean McGarry and Sean Milroy and the three of them send a cake in to De Valera with a key in it and this key ends up getting uh, Dev out and they head off now, and as we were discussing that's a very cool story to yeah, kind of yeah, have absolutely. now I'm not sure if now I know the film ha- you know, ha- you have De Valera dressed as a woman to, to kind of disguise himself I don't think that happened but dramatisation yeah yeah, just exaggeration Alan Rickman yeah ex- exactly you really have, <laughs> I have to bring him up so many times Rickman go. this is where I get my primary source from alright um, so Dev wanted peace in January in 1921 and this kind of holds true well again uh, just sorry yeah, yeah, before sorry. you go on the him going to USA again kind of detriments his own character whereas they feel like he fled away from the, the troubles violence, yeah. in Ireland at the time to go to America exactly. they didn't see the importance in it yeah and Dev wanted peace in January 1921 which is testament to his character because peace didn't actually come until July so it does show that he wasn't you know he was all for violence he was like in his rhetoric but when it actually came down to it in his decision making as you see he isn't um, a man of war so um there's a lot of crack about the talks of the Anglo-Irish negotiations yeah. before the treaty. Um, he wants Collins to head off to the US in uh, at the end of the War of Independence and Collins is like, that long hooer won't get rid of me that e- as easy as that. Um, so, he, I think he wanted, you know, it could be argued that he wanted Collins out of there because Dev loved uh, Collins' popularity to the point that um he loved that he he could benefit off uh, the popularity, but he didn't like it to the point that he, it could um, have an impact on Dev's popularity at the same time, I suppose, because the two of them were conflicting a lot. Um, so Dev wants to, he, he's been asked, you know, to kind of be, um, to talk to the British and in trying to f- uh, find a treaty, trying to find some sort of a deal. Because uh, there's loads of words being thrown around, like dominion status, um, which border, mean, uh, boundary commissions, boundary all that kind yeah. of stuff. That they're a bit afraid; they don't really want to um, get into too much. So Dev talks to Lloyd George, um, for, secretly, think, yeah, for five. I think he has five secret meetings with them, and uh, Lloyd George is really impressed by him because he says that he spoke to him for like five hours one one night, and it went, and he just spoke about Irish history the whole way from mythology and right right from the very beginning of Ireland all the way up to um, Cromwell. Uh, so that's, 16, that's, a, that's, that's 1600s. A lot of, that's a lot of history to so go through. So there's a lot more history to come for David Lloyd George and he's just kind of sick of it but he thinks he is a great speaker. Um, so Dev... Did, some people kind of point this out to be when they were having these uh, what's pre, like the pre-discussions that this is kind of when Dev gauges that he cannot win against George in yeah. negotiations. And it isn't just like George, it's, it's um, you have Churchill. Churchill, and there's so many other, other more... Um, Very good negotiators. Yeah, and these negotiators are English at the end of the day, and De Blair, Con- Collins, Griffith, their first language is in English. Yeah. Um, so then so we have the plenipotentiaries. Yeah, so De Blair gives these lads plenipotentiary rights, and his he has so many different arguments, and all these sources give different arguments. One of them I thought was really interesting was because De Valera was head of the Irish state that he was now, he was the president of the full republic and uh, because of this he is the equivalent now to King George V. So if King George V wasn't going to be at the um, talks, why would he? 
Um, he also said stay, he wanted to stay at home. Um, the quote was here that he would stay at home as it would be more effective if I myself were not a member of the team and so completely free of any suggestion that I had been affected by the London atmosphere. So he gives plenipotential powers to negotiate and conclude on behalf of Ireland with the representatives of Britain. Um, but the secret instructions were that he they couldn't agree on anything or sign anything. So he saves his own name. Without... Uh, getting Dev's approval first which would be very hard because there was no email back then no you so have to sending letters up. sending letters or, or ringing up the whole time and it was um, more hassle than it was worth yeah, so uh, Arthur Griffith Robert Barton Michael Collins and Erskine Childers go over to have these discussions yeah now Childers is kind of a spy for Dev here because Childers and Dev are on the same are, are quite close and Griffith kind of has his beef with Collins and Griffith aren't on Dev's side here so Childers is kind of his spy there and he actually sends secret reports back to Dev there um, while Collins is away, De Valera uh, got 70,000 new, 70, new recruits um, for the IVF. Um, so he reorganised the army and he got a lot of the people that Collins would have been mates with out. So it kind of... Planting the seeds. Planting the seeds of this kind of, we're going to tear apart from the people. You know, if He knew what was coming. On. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> so do you want to tell us about the results of the, the anglo Street? So family? like there was five major things that kind of came yeah, out yeah. from this where... It was the Oath of Allegiance, which would, again, become a very, very important part in the years to come. Then we had the Dominion status. We had the three ports in Cove, Bearhaven, and Loch Swilly. Then Britain we, had to keep them, didn't they? Brett, that was so the, they want, Britain wanted to keep them in part yeah, of the treaty. Yeah, yeah. yeah, then we had the Boundary Commission, and then we have the name of the Irish Free State. Um, yeah, so the big question there is, I suppose, did Dev know he wouldn't get to 32 counties? Arguably, I would like from when I was in primary school, we were told that yeah, he was. Um, but again, it is very um divisive at the same time. Um, so he they come back and they show the Anglo Street, Dev's raging, and the lads supposedly to a point where he doesn't even he's offered a newspaper all the results and he doesn't even read it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, they they, they meet in the doll to agree or disagree in the treaty. And it's very tight. So um, it is, sorry here, Dahl voted 64-4 and 57 against. So there's seven people in the difference here. So Dev resigns from the Dahl and leaves, gone. Stack, Brewer, uh, I think Childers, they're all gone with them. And now Griffith is the big dog in charge. Yeah, after. With, with Michael Collins following, following in front. Now Griffith does have a lot of respect for Dev there, and I think this is a lovely quote by him. I want to say now that there is scarcely a man I have ever met in my life that I have more love and respect for than President de Valera. I, thoroughly, I am thoroughly sorry to see him placed in such a position. We want him with us. So it's, it is nice to see that there and that's is a, a lot of that's a very Griffith type of thing to say as well, <laughs> yeah, where exactly, he doesn't yeah. want any beef with many people. Yeah. So um, skipping through the Civil War here. So basically, Rory O'Connor in April uh, occupies the four courts um, representing the uh, anti treaty. Um, so. For, that's two months later then Collins attacks the four courts being threatened by Churchill because he Churchill said either you sort this out or we'll send over the army and we'll do it for you nobody wants that so Collins um, attacks and civil war gets going uh, Dev joins the IRA as an ordinary member he's actually stationed at the Gresham Hotel just off uh, Stephen's Green so Sinn Féin is in shambles at the moment yeah and um, 
I suppose, I think it's very hard. I don't think even talking about political parties is even worth it because. Well, well, again, it only the only reason I'm saying this in Shavans because this is where kind of Fianna Fáil comes into the. Yeah, exactly, and we have Cumann Gael and um, Fianna Fáil, and then Cumann Gael then turn into the different parties, and then army meeting kind of splits that, and it's a whole thing. The warriors of destiny. Exactly, which will come, which are coming to, but um, in September, Dev meets Mulcahy and tries to halt the fighting, but he couldn't find a basis for di- for agreement, and uh. What I found really interesting here was Dev had actually no power in this fighting. So even though Dev what was the was the ex president of the Dáil, when it came to the fighting, Liam Lynch was in charge and Dev held no authority whatsoever. Which brings us to the ultimate Irish murder mystery: Did Dev Lair kill Collins, or sorry, did he know, or did he have anything to do with it? So, did Dev do it? That is the big question that we have pondered. Did, or did he years. know? Or did he have anything yeah. to do with it? So I'll tell you the answer. Well, obviously, it we'll put that into context. The murder of Michael Collins and Blaine Blah. Yeah, so Collins is killed in his home county, Cork, and Blaine Blah, and we by the anti-treaty forces. And the question is, does Devil Air have anything to do with it? Does he know about it? The answer is we don't know. But we do. <laughs> That's so anticlimactic, but yeah. But we do have so we will we'll rattle through a few sources. And so there's many different conspiracy theories that go around whether Dev kind of. Yeah, pulled exactly. out the hit or knew about the hit or anything yeah. like that. So General Liam DC uh, says that Dev knows about the attack. And so when Dev found out about it, he said that Dev said that that would be a pity because lesser men might succeed him with whom it could be more difficult to deal with or sorry, to do business. So Dev does respect Collins. Now, that's that, an, that's that, an important part where whether they had beef or not, he does know the importance of Michael Collins in Irish history. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's another anonymous so Tim Pat Coogan is um, a fin- fantastic um, historian historian and biographer of uh, Michael Collins and he has a lot to say about um, I suppose all Irish history and you have to think this Irish history isn't too far away from today no. these events happened 100 years ago so if you're talking maybe about um, a 50 year old man he was born 50 years after this happened so you know these sources they still exist and there's actually eyewitnesses now they still don't know on it yeah but at the time of at the time it was definitely um you know it could be somebody's grandfather who was or grandmother or whatever that was actually present at these events so tim pat coogan heard from an anonymous source who heard from james flynn the devs escort sorry james flynn is devs escort and devil air went to longs bar in bella uh, and he pled with the soldiers that were there and said, please don't do it. Please don't kill him. Um, and they didn't recognize his authority. And Dev was left furious, uh, which isn't very convincing. But I think this is the kind of way that the film kind of goes um, that Alan Rickman was very upset, but he does know about it um, and that he can't really stop it. So, um, you know, in March 2023, Lynch is killed. New IRA chief kind of brings a ceasefire to... Um, to the uh, war of independence, sorry, the civil war, uh, many anti-treaty members arrested. Now, Dev hides, but when he runs for election, um, this is where he gets cut out, and he knows it's going to happen. But yeah, um, he still has a lot of power. He's, he knows he still has a lot of influence, so he runs. He, he goes for election in in Clare, and he stands in Ennis for election, um, and he does a speech. And during his speech is when he got arrested. Now, this is I, I think this is really interesting when. He goes to Dublin. So he was supposed to speak in Dublin the following week. It's following weekend. But he's in prison. So, he so he's in prison. He wasn't there. So who spoke on his behalf? His 12-year-old son, Vivian. Like, which is class. Yeah. And Vivian speaks from unsure of what the Gili Nagal 
aren't been Gilly Nanal will do to his father when Gilly Nanal uh, translates to um I should know this uh, better sorry servants of the foreigners which is, is what they call the pro-treaty side which I think is really interesting because well the negative connotations of that straight away is very prevalent the, yeah yeah of course but also this is, like the anti-treaty people saw the pro the pro-treaty people as extra British people extra British yeah. helpers so um, Vivian his 12 year old son and Erskine Childers is Erskine junior. Childers Jr um, also and Erskine Childers would then come on to be a, uh, this junior um, son in a, an important figure yeah because his father um, was was executed around this time too and this was a really emotive play by um, the anti-treaty side um, and O'Higgins says when Dev gets arrested the real issue in the election is anarchy versus law and order now O'Higgins is on the pro-treaty side and the, the real question has to be asked what law and order are you talking about because pro-treaty and anti-treaty have both been are, are, um, have just caused anarchy throughout the whole country yeah. people are dead it's brother against brother it's families against families here uh, in the pro and anti-treaty and who is a real nationalist at the end of the day which exactly, side yeah yeah so um, you know it's, a, it's an interesting uh, quote from O'Higgins so he leaves Sinn Féin over disagreements and wants to leave politics and this is where Fianna Fáil comes in so Sean Lamass, who is a, a massively influential figure in terms of uh, Irish politics, he changes the country and he kind of introduces us to the country we know now. Um, they established the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil and then in brackets, the Republican Party. Now the Pro- Republican Party in comments in, in brackets comes because Lamass is afraid of Fianna Fáil. Uh, without, if people don't know how to pronounce we'll it. Without the father, yeah. And where does the name Fianna Fáil come from? Tell uh, the, wor- the Warriors of Destiny. Yeah, and... That warriors of destiny, the fall, F A fall I L, come from Inish fall, which is um the which is an old Irish kind of literary term for Ireland, which is like the land of warriors, like the land of um of heroes, and this is where Inish fall comes to Fianna fall. Um, so La- when Lamas leaves, he brings a lot. He le- he steals a lot of Sinn Fein support, and what Fianna fall wants to do is they want to republicanize the free state from within. Now, what's really funny is that this is actually what Collins wants. This was what word for word. The pro. This <laughs> is what the pro treaty were doing. Now, obviously, look, they they have disagreements, and but when it comes down to it, hindsight's a great thing where we can look back and say what the Queen of were trying to achieve. A lot of was of that was being done with the pro treaty side. So, kind of brings you know why was the civil war even? Did Collins even have to? Yeah, exactly. go through all that. Um, I see our time is very yeah gone. So I'm gonna gonna just just rush through the next. Okay. T-shock. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, okay. So, June 1927, Fianna Fáil won 44 seats, Sinn Féin won 5, and Cumann Gael win 47. So, um, Fianna Fáil tries not to take the oath, but then O'Higgins is assassinated, and then Cosgrave brings in the elect, um, the Electoral Amendment Act, and this allows Dev, and then this kind of makes Dev take the oath. Um, even though he doesn't want though, to. Yeah, so Fianna Fáil were taking up all those seats, but they weren't coming to the Dáil. So this electoral amendment act said you have to come or you're not a politician. Which anymore. again will it will be abolished very yeah. shortly afterwards. So um in August of nineteen twenty seven, Dev was at Grand, he he called the um oath an empty political formula, which it was, and sure enough, um he takes a seat. So um during all this time Dev really appeals to the Irish nationalists here, um, because they exploit the anti British sentiment that um the pro treaty side or it's coming coming to Gale um are aren't really um accepting. 
or aren't really acting on. This, this comes towards the end of Coming to Gale's kind of hold on Ireland yeah, at exactly. the time. People so, are kind of fed up with the same thing over and over again. And De- Devin Lamas kind of show these, they'll show this promise of what Ireland could be. So 1932 comes, Devin Lair overcomes Cosgrave as president of the executive. So T-Shock has coming in yet. Um, the Fianna Fáil becomes the most powerful party, 72 seats. Massive. And they continue to win the next several elections over the next exactly yeah, couple yeah, yeah. of years. So in 1932, Fianna Fáil become the most powerful party. And when they do, he, um, Fianna Fáil are afraid the Cumann Gael are going to come with guns. So Fianna Fáil are a load of guns. And Cumann Gael are like so peaceful about it. Um, and they're completely just surrendering their power. And it was very peaceful. Now you have to wonder if O'Duffy was in charge rather than Cosgrave, who would end up with... In, Good old fascist O'Duffy. Let's just again, different day, different, different podcast. podcast. <laughs> exactly. So De Valera comes in hot straight away as president of the of the national executive, and he abolishes the oath. He withhelds the land annuities owed to the UK, and this kicks off the Anglo Irish trade big war. bad trade war. The last six years, this economic war, this cost this sorry this Anglo Irish trade war caused economic war. Uh, up until nineteen thirty, where there's tariffs on exports um, and imports from England to Ireland. So Ireland are t- so England start because we haven't paid the land annuities. England t- starts taxing, trying to find their money in other ways. St- starts taxing their exports, but we start taxing our exports in retaliation, and this is like this is really like. It's, um, it's bad on both sides but again Ireland kind of hold the upper hand with their trade yeah, to England because 90, 96% of Irish exports went to Britain and like constantly you know all of our resources going out to Britain so um, yeah um, basically Donald O'Bukla which is a good friend of Eamon de Valera takes over as Governor General when King George's Governor General resigns in 1932 so Dev gets him to call a snap election Donald O'Bukla and in January 1933 which is only a year after the first election um, and this then gives Fianna Fáil a massive majority by 77 seats and then as you said Fianna Fáil wins 1937 1938 1943 and 1944 elections so that's kind of their start of the era of dominance that they would hold in Ireland yeah exactly and during the 30s put in context a lot of stuff is happening in Europe at the time there's more worries throughout Europe as fascists are rising in Italy and so there's all these major political yeah. figures kind of rising and we're actually, we actually talk about that when the, the 1937 brings the constitution the Bunnock and Heron and um, the word Taoiseach is used as you know the, I suppose the prime leader. minister the leader uh, and Taoiseach it rest- um, translates to leader now Führer Führer also means leader and what and Duce it's just the Italian word for, for leader so Mussolini Hitler, Hitler and, and Eamon de Valera <laughs> the big three if, if we, this, that was taken out of context we'd be in trouble someone just needs to not clip that yeah so um, I hope you can pop that out and join the edit yeah. but basically uh, everyone's a bit concerned they're like oh, there's a fella called the leader over in Germany and he's doing a bit of business now at the minute Maybe. but again Dev kind of puts that nail in the coffin he's like, he's that, like we're not the same yeah grand exa- exactly um, and that kind of brings us to the end 1937 uh, and then we start seeing the, the run of De Valera as Taoiseach as president as um probably the biggest um political person in, in Ireland in the 20th in century Ireland, 20th century um a couple of sources that we use here we use um T Royal Dwyer's Emmy De Valera publishing the Art Senate Independent in 2006 um it's a you great get commission com- for that no I wish <laughs> I did um Sunday Independent 
uh, one for the books I don't know uh, meet Legal, Legal. so there's a great podcast called Meeting Eamon De Valera and Michael Collins hosted um, by History Ireland and David McCullough speaks on behalf of De Valera David McCullough wrote two fantastic books called um, Eamon De Valera I think it's Rise and Not Fall I think I, I no two fantastic books a two a two partner um, and De Valera he, he's probably one of De Valera's biggest and uh, best best known uh, biographers so yeah we're going to include all the sources as you usually do in the WordPress and in the comments in the YouTube video yeah. um, and again yeah. I think without a doubt we don't even have to say if Eamon De Valera is one for the books because yes, <laughs> he did not have any question about it so the Longfellow is in there he is he's in the book it's sealed the book is closed it's, it's turned over Anyway, thank th- you very much for listening. Yeah, and this has been one for the books. I've yeah. been Calvin. And I'm Adam. Thanks very much. Bye.